Good morning, everybody. Um, if you have a Bible, we're going to be in Galatians 6, or you can follow along on the screens as I read this morning. Friends, these words are inspired, sufficient, and true, and they're given to us in love. See with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Uh, before you take a seat, would you pray with me? Well, gracious Father, uh, you know the stories of everyone here today. And we bring those stories uh, into this room as your church, asking you to meet us again this morning with this profound message of grace and good news in your son, Jesus. Empower us, equip us, encourage us, convict us if you must, but may we see Jesus. We pray this in his name and everyone said, amen. You may be seated. Uh, if you are a guest with us, I'm really glad that you're here this morning. If, um, if you call Orangewood home, uh, you probably were expecting to see a guest preacher here today. Uh, we had an on-series forum planned for last night. Um, we were uh, planning to have Scott Sauls here to preach this morning as our guest preacher. Um, and uh, with weather uh, last night, you may have experienced here, uh, his flight was canceled. Um, and so at a little after 5 p.m. last night, uh, I realized I was going to be preaching this morning. Um, and, uh, you know, there's always a first for everything. And so I just opened my Bible and said, hey, uh, this is new. This is a first. Let's go with it. Um, as bummed as I am for you not to hear from Scott this morning, I am equally as excited to actually close out this great book of Galatians. If you're a guest with us, we've, we've been looking at this letter Paul wrote uh, since last fall, and we come to the very end of it this morning. Uh, and uh, Paul has been instructing this early church on the beauty of the gospel, that uh, Jesus has freed us. He has redeemed us. He has reconciled us. He has uh, uh, brought him to uh, himself. He's delivered us from the powers of darkness and oppression. And we, we began looking at this great letter because it really highlighted uh, our mission uh, God has called us to as a church, inviting every person into the life-changing story of Jesus, that we believe every person who has ever lived is looking for life change. And, and we believe that you maybe this morning also are looking for that. And our mission is to point you to the one who we believe brings that life change, uh, to the person and to the work of Jesus and his story. 
Uh, Paul is closing out his letter to the Galatians with his final words. This is it, the very end. And they say in the final stages of life, you can determine a lot about a person. Um, uh, The great baseball player, Joe DiMaggio, uh, played for the Yankees. Um, uh, He, you could tell at the end of his life, was still hung up about Marilyn Monroe. His final words are recorded as, I finally get to see Marilyn again. Uh, Bob Marley, famed reggae musician, shared his words, money can't buy life. Money can't buy life. Those are good words. Paul here is giving his famous last words to this church. It it was a common practice in the early church that that you would have a a secretary that you would would dictate to your words and they would write those down. But at this point in his letter, these final words, he's actually grabbed the pen himself uh, and he begins writing. And you can see this actually in verse 11. It says this, see with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. Uh, This is why we have called this sermon series All Caps. This is this final moment where Paul wants to get our attention. He wants to proclaim the beauty of this gospel and the work that Jesus has done on the cross. Uh, Paul, in this section, has three questions for us this morning. Three questions. The first question is this. What is the boast of your life? What is the boast of your life? Uh, When Rachel and I had moved to Michigan uh, to serve uh, a church there, um, we we realized very quickly that Michiganders are very, very proud of their state. They're not as proud as Texas people are, but they're very, very proud. And and we began having conversations with them, and they began asking us uh, uh, different scenarios of, hey, have you done this yet? Have have you been there? Have you experienced this thing in Michigan? Have you you been to a cider mill yet, Tyler? Uh, Has your your family been to Sleeping Bear Dunes? The one question we got above all questions was, Tyler, have you and the family, have you been to up north Michigan? Up north Michigan. Now that, if you don't know that language, it simply means that you would go up north along the Great Lakes in the summertime and experience crystal clear fresh water. And if you have been there, you know, you know, it is absolutely beautiful. It is absolutely beautiful for those two weeks. <laughs> before winter hits again. You see, up north Michigan was a badge of honor. It was this, it was this badge of arrival. It was a, it was a badge of boasting. Uh, throughout our life, there are going to be many badges of honor we believe we need. Uh, we, we seek after these to avoid persecution and gain approval. At work, your boss reaches out to you and, and says, hey, hey, is, is that project almost done? And, and, and you're like, what, what, what project? And they, and they say, you know, the, the, I sent you an email last week about the project that's due tomorrow. And, and of course, you don't want uh, persecution and you want their approval. You, you lie in that moment. Oh, that project. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry, Mr. State. That email. Yes, 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 I'm working on that. That will be done tomorrow. Um, when you know nothing has been done, you have no idea what you're doing, 
and you may be pulling an all-nighter if necessary. Kind of like this sermon. (laughs) What is the boast of your life? Uh, What is your badge of honor, your badge of approval? Uh, We see the badge of boasting that Paul wants to correct in verse 12. Look at this with me. He says this, it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that you may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. What is the boast of your life? Uh, in, in the first century, the same question was being asked with, with, with rising Jewish persecution. There was an easy way for you to get a badge of honor. Uh, There was an easy way for you to avoid persecution and gain approval. I guess I should say it was easy. All you had to do was be circumcised. Uh, I can't imagine a line out the door uh, today for men lining up. Oh, yeah, you want a badge of honor? Just come get circumcised. But apparently, in the first century, there was. There was a strong pressure to conform. But you had to sacrifice. But if, but if you sacrificed, you gained the badge of acceptance. You gained this sign that you were in, that you were approved, that you were enough. And we see this mantra actually with the Judaizers in the book of Acts. They've, they've called the Jerusalem Council, what is what it was called, to, to, to figure out how do we navigate this issue in the life of the church. And this is what their mantra was. We read this in Acts 15. But some men came from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised, according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Um, so in the church, as it spread, the church spread through the first century, Jewish persecution also spread asking you, what is the boast of your life? Uh, what, what, what badge are you looking to, uh, to save you, to, to, to say you're enough, to tell you you've sacrificed enough? What, what kind, what we find in this situation is that it was different in different cities. Um, in, in the city of Jerusalem, you could see that that badge was your religious pedigree. It was your moral performance. Uh, but we go to another part of the Roman Empire, and you find in the city of Ephesus, it was the worship of the god Artemis. Um, the, the temple of Artemis in Ephesus was considered one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And so uh, when people in that city worked, everything they did, it was to build worship for Artemis. Why do I bring this up? Uh, we see the same thing happening today in our various cities, the badge of honor. Uh, when I was working uh, in some schooling in Boston, I would fly in and out of Boston uh, multiple times. And, and the last time we were there was for my graduation. And we decided to just make a big trip of seeing all that Boston had to offer. We did a giant a historic tour of downtown Boston, all the sites. And while we were looking at the sites, I kept seeing all of these little booths set up, these tourist booths set up. Uh, they were selling shirts and hats and And one of the common shirts that I kept seeing was a shirt that I was trying to figure out at first. It said wicked S-M-A-A-H-T, S-M-A-A-H-T. I just, I I was struggling with that. Wicked, wicked, smart, wicked, oh, wicked, smart. That is funny. That is funny. All these shirts, 
And after I laughed, I realized that's their badge of honor. The question people in Boston ask is, how smart are you? How educated are you? Where did, where did, you, where did you go to school? Did, did you go to MIT? Did you go to Harvard? Where, how, how much did you sacrifice to get where you are? Uh, when I lived in LA, you can maybe guess what the badge of boasting is there. It's your looks. Uh, how much would you sacrifice? How little will you eat? What work have you had done? And at, having lived there, I can tell you there is such a thing as too much work done. <laughs> I've seen it. For all the talk that we hear today about, quote, love yourselves, the data tells us that 90% of us have issues with our bodies. There's something we just don't like about ourselves. But how much will you sacrifice for that badge of boasting? Now I have lived in Orlando for almost two years. It's hard to believe. And I've begun to ask, what is the badge? What's the main badge of boasting here in Orlando? And this is just mine. You can disagree with me. But the, one of the main badges, I think, is this question comes out in various forms like this. How successful are you? How, how successful are you? Uh, um, are you worth my time? <laughs> are you worth my time, Tyler? Uh, uh, show me what you've sacrificed to get ahead. Uh, what have you given up? Uh, King Solomon has this little moment of autobiography where he, he, he tells us about his life, about his pursuits, about, about what he has gone about to be successful. And he actually shows this life uh, and what it looks like to build and boast on your successes. And he gives it in Ecclesiastes 2. And he says this, uh, I, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this was also vanity. So, so Solomon is, is going to town on where can I pursue pleasure? Where, where can I finally make it? Where can, where can I finally have enough? And so he goes on in verse four. He says this, I made great works. I, I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I, I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had ever been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, behold, all was vanity. All was vanity and striving after when. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Uh, Solomon has this moment of divine clarity at the end of his life when he looks back on this resume that he has built. And, and, and he's saying to you this morning, look, look, I don't know how much more successful you want. I, I had it all. I, I didn't just have a nice house. I had nice houses. 
I, I had land that I had bought at some point, and I, and I forgot I bought this land, but it was mine apparently. I, I have so many people working for me now, I, I don't have anything to do. Wouldn't that be nice? I have more money in the bank. I, I keep forgetting which bank accounts I have. I got some in the Caymans and across in the Switzerland. I, I've forgotten all my bank accounts. Um, I, I, I'm throwing parties and Coldplay is the musical guest. But he says this, but it was all meaningless. It, 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 was, it was striving and chasing after the wind and you just can't catch the wind. Paul invites you this morning to ask that question, if you're willing. What is the boast of my life? What what is the badge of honor I'm looking to for approval? And, And then he turns like a good friend would, and he encourages us and wants to offer us a different way. There is an alternative, and that leads us to our second question. Why is the cross so important? Why is the cross so important? Look at what Paul says in verse 14. Uh, But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul uses an expression here in Greek. It's this this phrase, megenetai. It's a very strong phrase. He uses it elsewhere uh, in his writing. Uh, But it's a very strong phrase of disapproval. He essentially says, megenetai. May it never be. May it never be. Uh, He's adamant here. Now, I don't know if you're a child here in this room or you were a child at some point in your life, which I think hopefully means everybody. Um, But this has happened for us. We've experienced Meganatai. It happened with our family. It happens very often. It still happens. It it involves when we have to go to Target. Um, We we go to Target for a very quick uh, purchase. Um, We have to go. We have to get a birthday card or we have to um, we have to get some medicine or um, we have um, things we just need to pick up very quickly. We're we're thinking this is going to be a five minute trip, but we have to bring our kids with us on this purchase. Five minute trip in and out. It's going to be quick. Oh, no. Utter moral collapse and destruction. Uh, you're going to target thinking it's going to be quick, five minutes in and out. That's what you thought. Uh, your kids, they can't see them as they've walked in the target, but they can smell them. There are toys here. There are toys here. And they start asking, Mommy, can I have a toy? And Mom, of course, says no. And when she says no, you're about to see a scene that we've all experienced or watched at some point in a target. Uh, The kid just loses its mind and everyone is watching. Everyone's watching, Uh, rolling on the floor, sobbing, tearing stuff off the shelves. Uh, As a parent, I can say there are no books for this moment. There's nothing you can do. You just have to get through it. Um, You grab your child, you try to make them out to the, get them out to the car as best you can without destroying their life. And as your child is screaming and sobbing and crying as you're pulling it out, no, no, no. You can hear those words if you listen closely. May genetai. May it never be, dad, that you would ever go to Target thinking you're going to get in and out without getting me something. It will never happen. I will make sure of it. 
Now, Paul is not rolling on the floor sobbing, but he is emphatic with you this morning. And he wants to get your attention because all of these badges of boasting will only lead you to a life of fear. Uh, the commentator, Philip Ryken, in his commentary on Galatians put it this way. The Judaizers said that circumcision was necessary to belong to God's covenant, but their real motivation was fear. Um, that, that, that's how you know if the cross is the boast of your life. You find fear is beginning to lose its grip on you. It, 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 it is becoming easier. You're, you're less concerned about the things of the world and what's happening around you. You find yourself, you're, you're dying to them in some way. You don't, you don't need to sacrifice for some badge of approval. You know you have approval because of his sacrifice. What has happened on the cross? That's why you're boasting. My, my life has meaning because of that man on that tree. Look how Paul put it in verse 15. Uh, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Paul's saying uh, it, it, we keep breaking it up into the circumcision versus uncircumcision. And that doesn't matter. All these external things don't matter. There are no bearing on my life. Uh, this is why we sang that song uh, right before the sermon. Uh, no gifts, no power, no wisdom. But I will boast in Jesus Christ his death and resurrection. Paul, Paul's going through the process of taking off whatever external badges he had that looked like boasting. Uh, Paul was incredibly successful. He was trained in the best schools. He came from the right family on the right side of the tracks. He, he, he looks back on his resume and all that has happened and he realizes it was folly and foolishness to be a badge of boasting. Uh, this is what he put it in Philippians. Uh, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Paul says, whatever I considered a game, whatever I considered a badge of boasting, I now see it as a loss. He uses this word here, rubbish, which is a very strong word in the Greek for manure. You could maybe say rubbish happens. Rubbish happens. <laughs> Paul is trying to get your attention this morning. It's rubbish. Paul's telling us, we are invited every day to believe this lie. It's a lie that there's something out there. Once I get that, once I attain that, whatever that badge is, that once we get there, we will be able to boast and be satisfied. But the invitation is a lie. And we fall for it daily. Uh, because that life is a life lived under fear, as Riken put it rather than the life of freedom that Christ has accomplished on the cross. And friends, we are invited to believe that lie every day. Uh, I don't know if you've heard the story of the Japanese guerrilla fighter, uh, Soiki Yokoi. Uh, during World War II, uh, the Japanese forces conquered the tiny island of Guam just before they went and attacked Pearl Harbor in 1941. 
And the U.S.'s response came later in 1994 to reclaim Guam uh, from the Japanese, which they did uh, in 1944. But the Japanese soldiers refused to surrender. They, 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 they ran into the jungle to avoid being captured uh, for fear of shame on the emperor of Japan and the people of Japan. So they, they fled into the jungle to hide in fear. Uh, when World War II was over, 1945, authorities knew that there were still many Japanese soldiers living in the jungles of Guam, and they haven't come out. They're, they're hiding in there. So they, were, they began to ask, well, how, how do we get these people to, to, how do we tell them everything's okay? You, you can come out now. You don't have to hide anymore. Um, so the authorities uh, came up with the idea they were going to drop uh, pamphlets from the sky, from planes, into all the jungles. It's just pamphlets that simply say, the, the war's over. Uh, you can come out now. Uh, no need to hide. Uh, Soiki Yokoi found these leaflets, but he thought it was a ploy by the U.S. to get him to come out of hiding, to, to, to get him. And so he refused to believe those leaflets were true. And he stayed in hiding for over two decades. Uh, in fact, on January 24th, 1972, two fishermen happened upon him and he was thinking that they were going to capture him and take him to American authorities. He, he, he went to fight them, but he was so malnourished from being in the jungle for so long. He didn't have the energy. They captured him. They brought him into authorities where they explained to him that he had been living in the jungle for over 28 years. The war had been over for so long. He could have walked out in freedom with no consequences. He received the pamphlets telling him that all was finished. It's okay. You can come out now. You can come home. But Yokoi continued to live a life in fear. I believe it's a fascinating story of how we continue to believe lies ourselves. Paul says, there are pamphlets, if you will, coming out of the sky into your lap this morning, declaring good news, that there is no more need for striving, no more need for external badges of boasting, no more need to live in fear. All has been accomplished. You can come out of hiding and live in freedom because of what Christ has done, because his victory is our victory. That's why the cross is so important. It's the great equalizer. You can live in the freedom of his victory that is now yours. But there's a question that remains. This is our final question. How do you know the cross has become your boast? How do you know the cross has become your boast? Well, Paul gives us three ways we know this morning. First, you are aware of your need. You're aware of your need. Look at the end of this letter. He, Paul ends, the very last sentence is a benediction. It's a, it's a good word. It's a promise to you and to me this morning. And, and look how he ends this letter. He says this, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Uh, the grace of Jesus be with you. How, how do you know the cross is your boast? You know your need this morning. You know your need. You know your need for grace. You know, you, know, you know your need for a strength and power outside of yourself. 
Uh, I love the way John Zoll put it. He said it this way. Uh, you want to be in control, but you are not. Because of this, the heartfelt experience of faith will always entail a kind of personal deconstruction rather than some kind of building up. The more you get to know the God who loves sinners, the more you will see your own need for him. Sometimes people ask God to build in them all the things they think they need in order to face life successfully. He will do no such thing. Why would he turn you into a vessel that has no need for him? Faith means trusting him to be all the things you need him to be. Despite your own inadequacies, and for that matter, in light of the fact that you don't actually know what you need or what success actually looks like, he won't give you strength. He will be your strength. Hey, are you saying this morning, God, you are the boast of my life? Uh, God, you are all I need. You are my strength. No, no one compares to you. Uh, there are no rivals to you, Jesus. I'm trusting you. Uh, one way to put it, I, I heard someone say we, uh, recently, a quote, you don't realize Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have, end quote. You're aware of your need. Are you aware this morning? Secondly, you're tired of old ways. Look at verse 14. Uh, but far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Uh, Paul says, when the cross becomes your boast, you, you become tired of old ways of living. You, you're gladly crucifying them from your life. You don't need them anymore. Success may come. It may come in your life. Uh, and people may hold you in high standing because of those external things, but you refuse to make them your badge of boasting. Uh, those old badges, you know they can't cut it anymore because of what Christ has done. Um, whatever badge you put on, you know it will never be enough. Uh, Christ becomes the richest gain and everything else becomes loss. Uh, Isaac Watts was an 18th century logic professor. Uh, he knew all about the importance of gains and losses of logic in your life. He actually wrote a book, uh, the title logic, the right use of reason and the inquiry after truth. That's a title. Um, it's a title that sounds like would put you to sleep, but unbelievable. It is still in print from the 18th century. Uh, Watts knew all about the power of logic, the gains and the losses and what it meant for your life. Watts was also a Christian and a hymn writer. And he put it this way in one of his hymns. When I survey the wondrous cross where the young prince of glory died, my richest gain, I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God, and all the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. All the vain things that charmed me most, I, I sacrifice them. Friends, what has charmed you most? Are you getting tired of the old ways? You should. That's what Watts says. You should. Because of Jesus, your eyes are fixed and charmed by the cross. That's what his eyes were. You're being wooed to a better world. And that leads us to the final way you know the cross has become your boast. You are experiencing a new way of life. 
a new way of life. Uh, Paul tells us in verse 15, there is a new creation. In verse 16, he tells us, uh, if you've made the cross your boast in life, you're experiencing peace and mercy. Paul asks you, are you? Are, are, are you experiencing peace and mercy in your life? Uh, this is what Jesus came offering to all who wanted a new way of life. The gospel is good news that there is a different kind of life available to you this morning if you will follow him. Through the cross, what Jesus has done, you can step into this new creation, what Jesus has called elsewhere eternal life. That there is a life with God available to all who want full peace. Uh, this is a question I actually have been asking myself more and more as I think about decisions in my life. Um, is this decision going to give me peace? Uh, we, we read about earlier in Galatians, uh, Paul, Paul says, uh, this is the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace. Uh, is, this, is this decision, is this, is this thought that I'm pondering, this idea or this image, is, is it giving me peace? Will it give me peace? It's a question to ask yourself throughout the week. Am I experiencing peace? Uh, but Paul also tells us you can know the cross is becoming your boast because you're living in mercy. Uh, you're experiencing the Lord's mercy towards you and you are extending the Lord's mercy to others in your life. Uh, we see this distinction in the gospels in Luke 18. Uh, Jesus told a parable about a Pharisee and a tax collector. It'd be like comparing two actors today. Uh, there was Denzel Washington and Will Smith. And if you saw the Oscars, you know who's in trouble. They went into the temple to pray. Who is in the right and who's in the wrong? But these two men who went to pray, the Pharisee said, thank God, thank you, God, that I'm not like him. I'm not like that tax collector. Thank you, Lord. But this is what it says in Luke 18. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Asking Jesus for mercy, it does something to you and your heart for others. Uh, you're not holding them to unrealistic standards. Uh, you're not expecting perfection from them. You're not, you're, you're quickly to forgive. You're, you're not looking down on others, constantly judging them. You, you know, your need for mercy and others need for mercy. I read uh, uh, about a mother who approached Napoleon, the great military leader, um, on behalf of her son. Her, um, and, and this is how it kind of all played out. Um, she sought a pardon for her son. And Napoleon replied to this, this mother, your young man, your, this young man, your son has uh, committed two great acts that justice equals death. And the mother explained to him, but I don't ask for justice. I plead for mercy. Uh, but Napoleon said, but your son does not deserve mercy. And so, sir, the woman cried, it, it would not be mercy if he deserved it. And mercy is all I ask for. It would not be mercy if he deserved it. And mercy is all I ask for. Well, then Napoleon said, I will have mercy. And Napoleon spared this woman's son. Sure, he doesn't deserve it, but mercy is all I ask for. Uh, I have seen this plea for mercy in our own house. Uh, Caleb, our youngest son, uh, gets in trouble, but he also gets out of trouble more than the other two kids. Um, it's not because he's the cutest, though he is. It's not because he's the smartest, though he's smart. Uh, 
when he is in trouble, he stays out of trouble mostly because of his brother. Uh, when Caleb upsets me, when he knows he is in the wrong and he's about to be punished, Lane, his older brother, starts crying, like seriously crying, borderline weeping on Caleb's behalf. He's losing it. Lane's saying to me, Dad, please don't punish him. Please don't punish Caleb. How do you say no to that? And I'm getting soft the older I get, too. I'm realizing that. A brother so moved with love and mercy. Don't you see, friends, Jesus, your older brother, has been pleading mercy for you. He's been pleading mercy for you. That's why the cross is Paul's boast. It's because he can look to that and he say that that is the moment where I know my brother pleads for me constantly before the father. It's the great declaration of how far this triune God would go for you and for me. Surely we don't deserve it. Surely we don't deserve it. But mercy is all we ask for. Friends, Paul asks you this morning, what am I boasting in besides the cross? What am I, what am I boasting in besides the cross? What badge is God wanting you to take off? Do you see your brother? Do you see him on the cross? Do you see him pleading mercy for you and for me this morning, telling you all is finished? You are free. Come out of hiding and live in freedom. That's good news. That's good news. Paul said it this way, but far be it for me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Let's pray. Well, gracious Father, we thank you for this wonderful letter you have given us from Paul. And the reminder, once again this morning, of your grace that changes everything. And so we look to him this morning, our great brother, our great king. There is no rival to him. And we declare that this morning. It's good news. It's good news. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen.